Hi, I'm John Marr, and I'm here today with Brett Rajensky, General Manager of NETR, Inc., a heating and cooling company in Massachusetts with a focus on Mitsubishi ductless heating and cooling products. Welcome, Brett. Hey, thank you very much, John. I appreciate you having me. Sure. And our special guest today is Chris Morin. Chris is a former Marine and is currently a regional sales manager with Mitsubishi Electric and owner and author of HVAC Pro Blog, where he gives advice for residential HVAC system design, quality installation, and system diagnosis. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Sure. Today we're talking about Mitsubishi Hyperheat Facts and Myths. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, more about Mitsubishi Hyperheat, uh, what that is and what we mean by that. Yeah, so it's actually a trademark term by Mitsubishi. We released our first Hyperheat system back in 2009. So it's been around for quite some time. Uh, Hyperheat in our terminology means it will give you 100% capacity at 5 degrees Fahrenheit. So the system's rated uh, by, let's say, AHRI. And the nominal size of our unit is actually the air conditioning size. Our hyperheat systems, all of the single zone hyperheat one-to-one ductless systems actually perform better than our nominal size. They give you more heat output at five degrees than what the label on the unit is. And is, is that in terms of like BTUs? So it's if it's uh, like a you know 8,000 BTU unit, when you're looking at heating, you're actually getting more than that. that exactly. Yeah. These these range in uh, size from six to eighteen thousand BTUs for the nominal size. And to give you an idea, the the newest model, our FS model, the eighteen thousand BTUs at five degrees will actually give you twenty three thousand BTUs in heating. So much higher than what the nominal size is. Okay. And how cold can it be outside and still have a hyperheat system work? Yeah. So all of our single zone systems believe it or not, will run all the way down to negative 18. So they get really high capacity at negative 18. To give you an idea, that same 18,000 BTU system will actually give you 17,100 BTUs at negative 13. It'll keep running. We don't rate it below negative 13. It'll keep running to negative 18 before there's any chance of it locking out to protect the compressor. It'll kick back on at negative 14 when it warms up a little bit. And we, we have seen that temperature around here, and I didn't get any reports that it actually did lock out. I think it's because it was wind chill, to be honest, and it wasn't actual temperature outside. But Right. We just a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're recording this in February of 2023. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did, I think we did in places hit, you know, minus 12, minus 14 degrees, some, somewhere in that range. So it was definitely sort of pushing the the, the line there, but uh, yeah, not not at the point where it would make the system not work. True. And that that's just for our single zone systems. We do make hyperheat multi-zones. Hyperheats have been, been in the market on the multi-zone side since 2014. And uh, all of those models that are for the whole home that actually incorporate a branch box in order to distribute those indoor units, those don't have a shutoff. Those will continue to run no matter what the temperature is outside. Okay. And do those work basically down to the same uh, temperature that, that, you know, minus 14, minus 18 degrees? So the, they'll actually continue on. So we rate them to negative 13. Uh, we'll tell you exactly okay. a, a, what you're going to get for BTUs per hour at negative 13, but they'll just keep running as long as they're not a refrigerant issue. And what are the efficiencies, you know, for hyperheat systems at those various temperatures as it gets, you said it's 100% capacity at five degrees Fahrenheit. And so then you're getting less uh, then, you know, 100% efficiency at temperatures less than that. Uh, you know, how, how does the scale sort of work there? Yeah. So efficiency with a heat pump is a little different. So what I was talking about was capacity, right? And usually it's a little harder 
to pull heat out of the air outside or transfer that heat from outside as it gets colder out. There's just less heat in the air, right? There is some, and it, it could be negative 18, and there's still heat that you can pull and, and bring into the house, right? The downside is, is the compressor has to work a lot harder when it's negative 18 out in order to do that. So what we talk about with efficiency with heat pumps, it's uh, COP or coefficient of performance. And the COP of, let's say, an electric resistance heat strip in a home is 100% efficient. The COP is one. And the COP of anything that burns fuel, like an oil furnace or a gas furnace, will actually be less than one because there's a, a portion of that heat that goes up the chimney or out the flue pipe. So the best of them out there are about 97% AFUE or 0.97 COP, right? The best thing about Mitsubishi hyperheat heat pumps is that as we get colder, even though it does get more expensive to run, most of them are what's considered a cold climate heat pump with ratings put out by, let's say, NEEP, North, Northeast Energy Efficiency Partnerships. And their rating for cold climate is it has at least a 1.75 COP at five degrees or higher, right? And just about every single one of our hyperheat heat pumps meets that standard. And Brett, you uh, at NETR, you know, install Mitsubishi hyperheat systems all over Massachusetts and a little bit uh, beyond it as well. Mm -hmm. What are some questions that you get from customers or maybe comments that you get from customers where it just seems like maybe they don't really understand uh, how the, you know, the hyperheat works or how even just ductless heat pumps in, in general work? Are there some myths or misconceptions out there ab about the systems? And what, what are some of those questions that you get from customers? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, heat pumps aren't, uh, aren't new. They're just tremendously improved as time goes on. So there's some lingering misconceptions from from, you know, quite frankly, decades ago, early generation heat pumps where, you know, oh, well, they don't work under 30 degrees Fahrenheit and this and that. And those are just kind of like legacy things that, that were true once upon a time. They're just not true today. Um, so, yeah, we get a lot of questions about, well, you know, is this what's this thing going to work down to? Do I need a secondary source of heat and questions like that? You know, the other the other thing is so so we, we we explain to our customers and we also have a lot of resources on our website that kind of explain what the basic function of a heat pump is, how it's different than say a furnace or something like that, how how we're working to take, you know, in a heating cycle, how we're working to take heat from one area and move it to another, uh, which is exactly the opposite of what it does when it's in a cooling cycle, which is taking well, it's the same. It's except for we're taking uh, in a heating cycle, taking the heat that's in the ambient air outside, moving it into the home, um, as opposed to a cooling cycle where we're taking that heat that's outside and, or excuse me, inside and dumping it back outside uh, to cool your home. The other, you know, I, I guess the next thing is exactly that is, well, you know, G-Spread, I read that these things work down to negative uh, 13 Fahrenheit. Uh, but how well? I, and I, I don't have the exact number and Chris can correct me, but I want to say they're I want to say they're like 73% efficient down to negative uh, or 73% capacity down to negative 13, uh, something very close to that. I'm going from memory. So the point is you're not at negative 13, you're not running at 5% of whatever your rating capacity was and, mm. you know, hoping your pipes won't freeze. Uh, you really have the vast majority of that capacity available to you. To Chris's uh, earlier point, you know, yeah, is it using more energy to do that? Sure it is, uh, but everything's using more energy. Another thing that we talk about with our customers and in some of our seminars as well, it's kind of, per, uh, I call it perceptions of cold because I don't know what else to say, is you have to remember that this is based on ambient temperature. 
Okay, so when we turn on the news every day, so so this past week when we had, or two weeks ago, when we had the exceptionally cold Friday night and Saturday, you know, I woke up in the morning and I'm seeing, I'm seeing temperatures of negative, you know, I live in southern New Hampshire, uh, you know, but I'm all over the North Shore, Boston, South Shore, you know, southern New Hampshire, and I'm seeing temperatures in the negative 40s. Well, that's a wind chill temperature. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the heat pump doesn't particularly care what the wind chill is. That's not its point. It's the ambient temperature. And, uh, you know, so the ambient temperatures may have been negative 11. There just happened to be a good strong breeze. Certainly your home is not retaining heat as well in that situation as opposed to negative 11 and still, but the heat pump doesn't care. It's still going to produce its heat. It's just a matter of your home may lose it faster. So getting people to understand those things. The other thing is, you know, we're all, you know, or at least speaking for myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifetime New Englander, you know, uh, you know, Hey, let, you know, snow cold, you know, we're, we're built for this. And a lot of folks are like, well, you know, are they, are you sure these can handle the winters here in New England? You know, a lot of folks think this is a South Carolina type item. And uh, you know what? Yeah, it can just fine. So I I happen to have a graph up next to me that I was looking for. Uh, The average winter in Boston, uh, we spend less than 46 hours below zero uh, in the term of the, in the entire winter. Uh, and of that, I would actually say it's like it's under a thousand hours below 20, 20 or below. So the whole mm. point is most of the time, you know, it's, it, this isn't uh, Nome, Alaska. It's not negative, you know, 42 for 10 days on end. Uh, we live in a climate that's fairly temperate and it's well within the operating range. Um, and then people may ask, they go, well, what happens if it gets below, you know, negative 13? Well, those those bites come in very short increments. It's an hour or two during a tremendous cold snap like we just had. It's not negative 20 degrees ambient for three days on end. That's, you know, yellow knife, uh, can, you know, in Canada. So uh, not here. So Right. So even if, you, even if at the absolute worst case, you didn't have any heat for a few hours in your home, if you're, you know, if your home's properly insulated, it's not going to, it's not going to all of a sudden cool off to freezing in your house and in, in just, you know, just a couple of hours or a few hours. Correct. And as a service provider, and, and it's really timely uh, during this, you know, tremendous cold snap that we had here recently. Uh, I had literally zero phone calls. So out of the thousands of hyperheats we put in, we had zero phone calls about hyperheats not being able to, as long as they were functional and there wasn't a maintenance issue, okay, uh, which is usually people not having, you know, to perform manual maintenance or something, you know, all, all functioning hyperheats, you know, satisfied. Uh, you know, now certainly some people choose not to go with hyperheat. They go with a system that has less capability. And some of those folks, you know, unfortunately, our answer was wait a couple hours, it's going to get warmer. Uh, and and uh, right. almost universally, they had a uh, proposal that that had hyperheat on it, and they had elected to go a different direction. So, um, but everyone makes choices. Yeah. Chris, do you generally recommend hyperheat for everybody, you know, uh, you know, in, in most situations, just, you know, based on that fact that, yeah, we, you know, we do have some temperatures. We don't have the coldest winters here in, in New England or in Boston, but, uh, you know, we do have some sometimes when it does get down to, to zero degrees or or even below zero occasionally, uh, you know, is, is hyperheat a, a good option, you know, for those types of people who, who are looking to really supplement their, their heating system during those winters? Yeah, so that's actually changed drastically over the last few years. So a lot of times people would look to the Mitsubishi product first for air conditioning because they didn't have ductwork. And that's where we did a great job the first 20 to 30 years we were in the market. And 
what ended up happening was, is they would run their system and realize, wow, I'm actually pretty comfortable the majority of the year, even in the winter, running this. But when it gets really cold, we have this problem where I have to turn my boiler back on, right? Or my furnace back on. So what I typically say to our contractors and our distributors is always recommend the hyperheat heat pump in New England, because then it gives the opportunity to run it as cold as you'd want to, to feel comfortable where you don't have to turn on the other, the other source of heat. And, and really these past two years with the push for electrification in Massachusetts, there's a, a focus outside of just a comfort and, you know, maybe a lower bill versus oil or propane. Now we're talking about offsetting fossil fuel and carbon footprint. And there are some customers that want to just shut the gas off to their home, which is fine if you put a hyperheat heat pump in and you design it right, right? So if you don't have enough BTUs, it doesn't matter if it's gas or, or a heat pump, it's just not going to eat the house, right? So that's the key. Uh, the key is it's it's the right product for that application and how they're living in that home. One thing that we recommend to people relative to value on heat pumps uh, to your point, Chris, is we, we typically recommend or certainly at least include hyperheat as a, as a choice for them. And if you think of this, this is maybe because I'm a contractor, I think about, does the equipment cost slightly more to be hyperheat than non-hyperheat? Yes. But in the, as a percentage of the total job, it's actually a, a marginal increase because guess what? The labor to install a hyperheat versus a non-hyperheat system is identical the rest of the way through. I'm still running the mm-hmm. same line sets. I'm still setting the same condenser. I'm still making the same wall penetrations and hanging heads. They're just they're just a, a slightly different product. So so when you start looking at what's the difference to gain that extra capability as a percentage of your total project with hyperheat versus without, um, it's actually considerably smaller than most people think. So you're gaining a lot of uh, uh, flexibility uh, without uh, a, a massive difference in price. Sometimes, but don't 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 just compare the cost of the units themselves to each other. Yeah. Look at the cost of the overall installation of the system. Absolutely, and all of a sudden you're going, "Wow, it's really as a percentage, not that much more." And that's because of. Again, my my workload as a contractor to integrate this into your home is is really quite frankly identical or or nearly identical at least. So, and w- right. when you introduce rebates, sometimes it's even less expensive to put the hyperheat Absolutely. system in. Yeah, that that's a great that's a great point. You know that I may be able to actually put a hyperheat system in your home after rebate less expensively your net cost as a homeowner uh, than one that does not qualify for a rebate. So you actually gain gain that extra flexibility, you gain that extra, you know, capacity and and you know, post rebate you may actually spend less for the entire thing. And that's because you're either integrating it with an existing heating system or potentially even replacing an, an existing heating system. Absolutely exactly. correct. Right. Okay. Uh, Chris, any, any thoughts on some of those, you know, comments that you heard uh, Brett <laughs> mentioned that, that, uh, you know, customers still have these questions about, uh, you know, these, these low temperatures or the capacity of, of the units at low temperatures or, or, uh, you know, these the questions and concerns that, that customers might have. Yeah. I think, uh, it, it may even be a generational thing, right? So when I started in the industry 25 years ago, you know, we had that problem with heat pumps and the heat pumps were installed let's say in the late eighties, early nineties and a lot of condos and they just were not efficient and they would have to turn on the equivalent of an electric toaster that's sitting on top of the unit in their duct system. And obviously it was much more expensive when it got really cold out to run just the toaster. 
So, you know, this, this negative connotation around heat pumps really got ingrained in, a, in the Northeast here for a long period of time until around 2009 when that hyperheat heat pump was released and they realized how efficient it was and uh, the flexibility of it, right? So we actually sell at Mitsubishi, uh, and I, I won't give you exact numbers, but we'll say it's somewhere around five to seven times the number of heat pumps in the Northeast versus the South. So it's the single largest market in the United States is the Northeast. So, you know, it's not for the South, actually. They're building this product for the Northeast. And mm-hmm. um, in fact, we're building more of it here in North America. So uh, it's one of those things that until you experience a hyperheat pump, you probably don't believe it, right? You don't believe the comfort. You don't believe the cost. You know, I think the the best thing you could probably do is go over to Brett's showroom and and hear the system run, understand how quiet it is and the and the temperature of the air coming out, even if it's before purchase. Not to overpromise here for any TR, but I think that no. that's that a definite closing situation. If you're on the fence, you got to experience it to to really understand what you're going to put in your home. Right. And what do you say to a customer who just really doesn't understand it when you say, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're finding that heat outside, even in these uh, the coldest temperatures, and we're taking that heat from outside and moving it into my my house. And, and, and you know, the, the person just says, where's that heat coming from? It's, you know, if it's <laughs> if it's zero degrees outside, you know, or minus 10 or, or, or whatever, you're telling me that you're taking the heat from outside and putting it in my house. Like, where's that heat coming from? Is that, a, is that, Brett, a, a sort of a typical thing that's, that, that a homeowner is going to say? Like, like I don't understand how, where, where you're finding this heat from. Yeah, 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 that's, I mean, that's not uncommon at all for, for people to, it seems perplexing, right? Because, because normally we're like, well, it's colder outside than it is inside. So how are you actually finding more heat outside to dump into my home? Um, right. and, and we just spend a little time and educate them on the on the basics of heat pumps. And then, you know, as we also talk about, you know, hyperheat specifically, we try not to go too deep because most customers, you know, they, they uh, you know, show me the baby. Don't tell me about the labor, you know. Uh, but, but you know, we explain to them how, you know, the hyperheat, you know, we even manages to get more out of that by, by increasing its compressor speed and 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 the compressor getting hot, us us you know not us the system adding refrigerant to to scavenge that heat as well. So we we walk them through it, and but really, you know what? What I've found for most people, at the end of the day, once they have that assurance and the trust in the name Mitsubishi and the trust in the name NETR, at the end of the day, they're like, hey, if if you know you've installed thousands of these, and in Mitsubishi's case, you know, sold millions of these. Apparently they work. Okay, I got to buy in. You know, so we give them we give them a, a high level overview, and then after that they're like, okay, it's it's got to work, and and you both have a great reputation. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about what goes on behind the curtain. So that's a much better answer than I would. I, I usually tell them it's magic. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> we we give the long version of magic. Yeah, so. yeah, there you go. <laughs> Would would one way to explain it be to say, you know, I mean, this this might not even be accurate. I don't I don't know, but to say it's kind of like the reverse of your refrigerator, where you know it could be it could be ninety degrees in your house, but it's still cold inside your refrigerator, and that's because of the the compressor and the refrigerant that that you're using. It's finding cold air or putting cold air into the refrigerator, even though it's hot outside. It's sort of the reverse of that, you know, where you're, you're taking uh, the cold air and, and, and compressing it and using the refrigerant in, in a reverse sort of way and then and finding the heat and putting the heat back into the house. Is, is that an accurate way of describing it or is that just, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a layman's way of, of explaining it to somebody? 
that's exactly the, the case, right? And and the hotter it is in your home, the harder it is to to cool the food, right? So another way I used to like to explain it, because most people understand air conditioning, especially with let's say, you know, window units. If you just took that window unit and spun it around, it would actually try to cool outside and heat in your house, right? So uh that's exactly what the refrigerant cycle is doing. There's a valve in there that just changes the direction of the refrigerant. So that way you don't actually have to spin equipment around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that way as a way of explaining it. Just yeah, take your window air conditioner and spin it around the other way. And that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah. And John, to your point, uh, virtually everyone lives with a heat pump already. It is the refrigerator, you know, <laughs> it's, it's they're they're living with it. And, and, uh, you know, refrigerators kind of also, uh, in, in, I'm not, not direct comparison, but, you know, refrigerators are pretty reliable. They work 24-7 for unheralded. We usually don't do anything to them except for roll them in a spot. And then 15 or 20 years later, when it gives out on us, we get angry. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> but the whole point is that thing's working 24-7, 365 for decades and stuff. That tells you how reliable heat pumps are in general. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of an apple and an orange here, but the it's a time-proven technology. It's just being used slightly different here. All right. Well, that's really great information, guys. Uh, Brett, thanks again for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, thank you, Chris. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where we can find you and uh, especially for contractors, uh, you know, how they can uh, reach out to you to learn more about your services? Yeah. So uh, if you're looking for Mitsubishi information, just reach out to your distributor, right? Uh, if you're looking for system design help or stuff outside of Mitsubishi, you can always find me on HVACProblog.com uh, over on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. And uh, I look forward to hearing from everybody out there that's looking for help. All right. Well, Chris, thanks again for speaking with me today. Anytime, John. And for more information, you can visit the NETR website at netrinc.com or call 781-933-NETR. That's 781-933-6387. 